our digital economy has skyrocketed in both popularity and necessity as Canadians from every corner of the country look to stay connected, relevant, and economically viable. Ryan McLaughlin is a senior economist and research analyst at the Information Communications Technology Council. He joined me this week to discuss how our digital economy trends have shifted as we all adjust to these unprecedented times. I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. Ryan, we're going to get started, and I want to welcome you to the show, and uh, we're excited to talk a little bit about the digital economy with you this morning. Thank you. Uh, I'm glad to join. So, in April, CTV News reported that uh, 5 million Canadians are now working from home. So, I'll just start you off by asking you, how do you think uh, that uh, trend trend will affect the digital economy because in the same article it said that many of those polled for the story said it would be a permanent trend. So I'm just wondering how you think that development will affect the digital economy moving forward? Yeah, well, first I'll just say um, the COVID-19 crisis uh, has had the biggest impact on the Canadian economy since the end of the Second World War, probably. So, you know, since February, we've seen GDP drop by about a fifth. Uh, about 3 million Canadians have lost regular employment. Um, you know, these are all slightly lagging indicators. So, you know, we'll receive updated data uh, soon, but that's about 15% of jobs were lost, regular jobs. Uh, the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit has said that uh, uh, nearly 9 million Canadians are receiving the benefit and the debt is expected to rise from uh, 700 billion prior to the crisis uh, to the PBO estimates that it could reach a trillion um, by the end of the year. So that would send our uh, federal debt to GDP ratio from 31% before the crisis to 48% afterwards. So, you know, this is a huge shock. So naturally it's causing um, a rethink in a lot of the various uh, in many different aspects of society, and that includes the digital economy and uh, many technology firms. So, you know, doing some of our research at ICTC, one of the things that has struck me is this shift that a lot of the leading technology firms in Silicon Valley and in Canada have taken um, in the way that they're producing the services that they produce. So, so for example, Apple and the technology firms traditionally kind of led the way in terms of these open plan, big office spaces where 
the employees are all expected to come together and interact and, um, and come up with new ideas. So one thing I read was, um, uh, you know, uh, Steve Jobs, when he was at Pixar, he wanted to design the office, and this was uh, in the 80s, I believe, to have a centralized one set of bathrooms. And this was this ultimately didn't happen. It was unpopular for obvious reasons. But the idea was that everyone would be forced to come together and have these interactions uh, when they go to the bathroom. They would actually have to go downstairs to inconvenience themselves to meet. So now what we've seen is a total 180 from uh, all the major technology firms. So I think Twitter and Square, both led by Jack Dorsey, have said that basically they're going to make their staff permanent. Uh, Google has uh, permanently remote, that is. Um, Google has said that uh, it won't be before the end of the year. Most of the major technology firms have said the rest of 2020, everyone's going remote. And then with Facebook, um, they basically have announced these plans to just permanently switch to a huge portion of their staff just working remotely. So I think um, their plan is within 10 years to have half of their technical staff working remotely. Um, they plan on basically adjusting people's wages by uh, the by the cost of living of the jurisdiction they're in so um, you know these are this is a huge change and um, and and in Canada Spotify so Spotify had these plans to uh, to fill out this new giant office space in Vancouver but now there's these questions if they're going to actually do that if the you know what's going to happen there because basically um, from what I've read their CEO has said we're going to switch to uh, we're like a total 180 on how we're doing things. We're not going to have, uh, a, a, you know, remote workers, which kind of orbit the physical office space in reverse. We're going to have sort of remote being the core with some occasional avenues for people to, to meet up. So, so it's, to me, it's quite fascinating how kind of the core, you could argue the core elements of the digital economy, that is these sort of prestigious technology firms have chosen to really do a 180 on the way that they're, they're conceptualizing the production of the services that they create. Um, so, you know, a few of the other kind of speculative observations that you could make is, I think we're going to see perhaps a consolidation of power among these technology firms. So, you know, obviously this pandemic has caused a great amount of financial strain. Perhaps a lot of these small businesses um, are going bankrupt or might or may soon go bankrupt. Um, whereas on the other hand, you have uh, companies like Amazon doing better than ever. Um, or, you know, the, there's been this speculation about why the stock market at this point has barely, I think it's, I don't think it's down from the beginning of 2020. So there's been essentially no loss in value in the US stock market, at least say the S&P 500 index um, since January. And, and a big part of this reason, I think, is that tech stocks, the, the so-called FANG stocks, make up such a big proportion of the index. And these stocks are not too damaged by the uh, by COVID. You know, obviously Netflix is fine. Amazon seems to be fine. Uh, Google is fine. They're all able to produce remotely and their services are, are have greater demand in the midst of this pandemic. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and can you tell me, uh, let's talk about optimization for a second. Can you tell me what ways do you think pe people are using the di digital economy more to 
optimize their earning potential and what ways do you think uh, they're underutilizing it for that purpose? So um, I think some of the, the means that people have been using to optimize their earning potential uh, could include, so the things they, that have been done could include uh, these code boot camps and online learning. So that's one of the things that we're really interested in at ICTC. Um, our office actually before it was shut down and we've, we've in Vancouver, we abandoned the, the lease now we're just remote, but we were in uh, with Lighthouse Labs, which is a code boot camp. So I think these sorts of things um, have become increasingly important, especially because a lot of the digital economy is quite meritocratic. You know, when we do these interviews, I've been doing interviews with the, uh, the VFX uh, industry. So, you know, film, television, animation, when you ask them, what's the minimum level of education required for your junior roles, they typically kind of say, oh, I don't really know. Uh, it's not that important. Uh, you know, uh, it just depends what your portfolio is. What can you do? What, how, what code, what, how can you, you know, what are your programming skills? Um, so that's one thing that has been taking place and has implications for higher ed. Uh, another thing is the, the gig economy, which of course many people have written about, including us at ICTC. Um, and this is as much a game theoretic innovation as it is a, uh, uh, a technology innovation. You know, so the problem with, uh, so when we think about Uber or Airbnb, the problem with traditional taxis compared to Uber, for example, is that it's a one-off transaction. So both players in the, the game, you could call it, um, have somewhat perverse incentives to not necessarily behave in the, the best way. Whereas Uber turns this into a repeated game. So it really changes the, the nature of these interactions. And this, this gig economy, I think that's one of the fundamental characteristics of it. And that's why people talk about Uber for X. You know, this, this new app is gonna be the Uber for this. Because they're taking this underlying um, core innovation and extending it to different things. So, you know, sort of like Airbnb is Uber for, uh, for housing. So, so that's an interesting and important development. Um, and I'd say the third would be uh, proliferation of exchange-traded funds in finance, ETFs, with uh, robo-advisors, so-called robo-advisors like uh, Wealthsimple or Modern Advisor, which are both Canadian firms, um, which essentially put your money into ETFs and guide it for you. So the important thing about this is uh, it democratizes access to the stock market which is the best one of the, you know, it's the best way to, for millennials, at least, I think, to, to receive interest. You know, it's easy to keep your money in a checking account um, and receive, you know, less than half a percent interest rate. But uh, with these new robo advisors, um, we're seeing this surge of cash into ETFs and into these indices, which uh, allows everyday investors, you know, like me and like, and like you to, to benefit from interest uh, from the stock market. And in terms of what, what you would like to see people do to uh, uh, use other aspects of the digital economy that they're not necessarily using now, what would you say to that? So one thing that uh, has been in my mind recently, especially since I just, uh, being able to work remotely now, I've gone to Quebec, um, is this notion of remote work 
and speaking about all these tech firms allowing their employees now to work remote, I think what we might see going forward is a, is a really fundamental shift in the location of work, you know, and, and obviously Canada has this huge issue with housing affordability and it's, but that issue is particularly focused in the big cities where certain, in some ways, uh, if you want a certain kind of job, suppose if you, obviously if you want to work on Bay street, you have to live in Toronto. So what would be interesting is if what we see going forward is a shift where again, there's this democratization that takes place and people that live in Windsor, Ontario, or live on Vancouver Island or live in uh, Prince Edward Island can, can work in these uh, high paying industries that previously were exclusive to those living in the big expensive cities. So th this would really uh, do a lot, I think, to, to reshape people's uh, access to careers uh, as well as frankly, people's disposable income. So that's a really exciting possibility. Uh, you know, it even has implications for international migration. Where do, do people, uh, you know, live in other countries uh, even? Um, so another, so that kind of connects to this idea of um, the offshoring of white collar work or telemedicine. So again, we're kind of, with this uh, pandemic, we've seen telemedicine have some of the regulations loosened on it such that uh, it's allowed more and more. Whereas before there were restrictions, it's difficult to, you know, to allow it in certain uh, provinces. Um, so this could really change the way healthcare is provided. And it could even end up resulting in um, healthcare becoming something that's negotiated in free trade agreements, for example. So perhaps uh, countries in the future are going to have to think about um, under what rules should you be allowed to speak to a American doctor on zoom and, you know, and, uh, and receive healthcare from that person, you know, that this can get very complicated very fast. Um, but with, with zoom and these, these video apps as we're using now, improving with, uh, and especially with augmented and virtual reality, uh, if this technology really does become quite good and easy and user-friendly, you could imagine all kinds of white collar work uh, or service sector work, which was previously immune to globalization, becoming uh, you know, uh, an issue in, in these free trade agreements and and, and the Information Technology Communications Council is also leading the way when it comes to assisting employers in gaining access to skilled and younger workers to help diversify their workforces through their digital equity employability pathways, which allows employers to gain access to skilled workers who want to pursue a career in the tech or digital economy sector. McLaughlin explains how it works and how it can provide all businesses with a competitive advantage. Sure. Um, so ICTC's got uh, a number of capacity building programs, um, basically to help employers and 
and tech employees match up and to provide various subsidies and, and things like that. So that DEEP program, which you mentioned, uh, Digital Equity and Employability Pathways, uh, it, it works with newcomers, refugees, and indigenous communities um, to connect with employers, um, uh, to connect employers with uh, newly trained and upskilled individuals looking to grow their careers in ICT. Um, so participants in the program uh, go through a series of courses, uh, you know, based on communication, leadership, uh, social media presence, and networking uh, from ICTC. And and we partnered with Microsoft. So Microsoft, uh, the Microsoft Career Pathways program. Uh, provide training concentrations in cybersecurity, AI, and data science. So, so we've got other programs like that as well. Uh, Will Digital um, offers employees, uh, employers financial incentives to hire post-secondary students. Um, uh, yeah, so we've got various uh, subsidy programs like that. Can you also tell me uh, how big you think the digital economy will be in providing individuals with disabilities employment as well in the future? I absolutely think that that's uh, an important area. So that's something ICTC is interested in. Um, and we do have uh, a programs to, to help um, employers connect with, with underrepresented groups in the tech sector like that. So um, particularly if we think about how remote work and, and technology could, could facilitate uh, potentially people with disabilities working in these industries more easily. I think there's an undertapped resource there. You know, um, there's all kinds of technologies which are emerging, which could make it easier for, for people with, for instance, impaired mobility to, to more easily uh, work uh, in these sectors. With nearly half the year now in the books, I asked McLaughlin to shed some light on how our digital economy has shifted and what we can expect moving forward. Um, so one thing that's, I think, worth thinking about is that this is a very particular kind of crisis, this, uh, the COVID-19 crisis. You know, if, if uh, the crisis had taken a different form, we would be uh, having radically different results. So, you know, I was just learning about um, uh, a big solar flare, which occurred I can't remember the exact date, um, but it was in the early 20th century, I believe. And basically the solar flare exploded the, the sort of archaic electrical infrastructure they had at the time. And, and people that were working with, uh, I think it was, uh, you know, telegrams, um, you know, got electrical shocks. Uh, so, so imagine that uh, a big solar flare like that had happened and it, and it destroyed our electrical infrastructure. It, it put the internet down. I mean, obviously we would be having a very different uh, reaction to that. Um, or, you know, if there had been some kind of geopolitical turmoil, you know, suppose it had, that would have scrambled uh, supply chains all the same, but maybe, um, you know, we wouldn't be seeing the same thing about small businesses suffering so much. Uh, so, you know, I think that it's a very particular kind of crisis that's take crisis that has taken place, and the implications of it are are particular. But in this case, what's happened is it really does seem to have consolidated uh, the digital economy. Obviously, uh, everything's gone remote. Uh, companies are are 
more interested in accelerating their so-called digital transformation uh, processes even more than they were before. And uh, the technology firms have either not been harmed or have even benefited, whereas their competitors in the, the non-technology world, the physical you know, firms, you could call them, have, have really uh, been undercut. So, you know, we've seen some aspects of globalization accelerated, but many have gone in reverse. Some of the things that were already being questioned have suddenly become even more apparent. So, you know, there have been questions floating around about globalization and free trade and national security. Where do we draw the lines? Um, suddenly, an issue that wasn't on our minds before this crisis, uh, the production of PPE and medical equipment, personal protective equipment, the, the jurisdiction where that takes place has uh, leaped to the forefront. And now we're all thinking about, you know, should we support domestic industries or not for these kinds of things? Um, yeah, so, so, so I guess in short, the crisis has, has consolidated the digital economy for sure. And um, it's caused the emergence of certain new digital economy phenomena, like there's all kinds of prefab apps which have emerged, which basically, you know, suppose you very quickly have to shut down your physical operations, but you still need to, and before you were just keeping track of inventory on a piece of paper and staff on a, literally, you know, you had your staff timesheet. Um, you know, there's new applications which emerge, which don't have to be customized for the company, but can just be downloaded and very easily customized uh, yourself. So these kinds of things are emerging to kind of rapidly address the challenges. And, and I think, you know, so, so putting those digital economy consolid, uh, you know, uh, that, that aspect to the side, there's all these social changes, which are obviously taking place now. Um, and I've said this already, but I really think the remote work, phenomena could could really radically change the way cities look, the way societies look, the way people's disposable income looks. Um, and, and this is a digital economy phenomena as well. And can you just tell me how uh, your organization, the ICTC, is looking forward to contributing to the digital economy discussion in the future? Sure. Um, yeah, so as uh, we said before, there's Kind of two arms to the organization. There's the capacity building arm, which does the DEEP program and the and all these training programs and all these subsidy programs. So that's kind of on the, the labor market side. And then I work in the uh, research and policy side, which we basically write reports and do research, which guides the, the other side to the organization, but is also, um, you know, typically the people that hire us to write these reports are the government. Sometimes it's uh, other nonprofits. Sometimes it's the private sector. We've worked with Microsoft. Um, and, you know, basically we write reports on all various kinds of aspects of the digital economy. I've contributed to reports on blockchain, AI, 5G, uh, written forecasts. Uh, so right now we're working on updating last year's economic forecasts for the general economy and for the digital economy. And, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a terrifying business to be in trying to to, to come up with a forecast for what's going to happen because who knows. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll see what we can, we, we can estimate. And, and, uh, we've also just uh, released a report, 
um, called Economic Resiliency in the Face of Adversity, which uh, is going to sort of outlines our proposed steps that Canada could take to to uh, to emerge from this crisis in, in decent shape. And my final question for you has to do with what, how do you think we can use the digital economy moving forward to live a more efficient life and a more uh, a, live a more efficient work life as well? Sure. So um, it's I think obviously this crisis, as I've said, has underlined the value of this parallel universe we have in the online world. So much of our, uh, you know, we've even despite what, notwithstanding all this economic carnage, which we mentioned at the top of the podcast, um, we've been able to become a socially distanced society fairly effectively um, thanks to this digital economy that we've built. So I think that's worth observing. Uh, and it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, if, if we didn't have this internet infrastructure that we've built over the past several decades, we wouldn't even have been able to try social distancing, sort of. We wouldn't have even been able to do quarantines. So, you know, you can say maybe we didn't do them effectively enough. Maybe we weren't strict or maybe we were too strict. Um, but, you know, this infrastructure we've built and this, this parallel universe we have has enabled us to, to try with these quarantines, at least. So, so that's interesting. Um, in general, in terms of efficiency, I've, I've mentioned this, but I think one of the most important recent developments um, in the digital economy, spe specifically within the gig economy, are these platform apps which solve matching problems. And I think this is a core efficiency improving aspect to, these, to this new technology. So it, whether it's Uber or TaskRabbit that connect someone who needs something and someone who has something that that, that other person needs. And, and this is obviously, if you're able to connect these people that weren't able to be connected before, this unleashes a lot of efficiency, economic efficiency, but also just well-being. You know, so, so if it's Tinder, if it's a, a dating apps, if there's, you know, two people that would be compatible together and in the counterfactual without Tinder, they never would have met. Uh, and now they do, you know, that's, that's a huge gain. Um, or, or meetup.com. Uh, you know, there's so many, for instance, blockchain community uh, meetups on there, uh, coding meetups, um, and then just, you know, hikes and stuff like that. All this, you know, wouldn't have happened without the digital economy. And this is, this is clearly unlocking a lot of human potential, which before was just missed, was wasted. So, so in a way, it's kind of like that Steve Jobs um, thing where they wanted to have one bathroom and everyone comes to the one bathroom and meets and interacts. The internet is enabling, it's facilitating a lot of these interactions, which, which is unleashing creativity, which didn't exist before. You know, of course, every, this is, we all know this, um, but it's worth remembering uh, if we ever feel that, for instance, there's been not fast enough economic growth, uh, that there are um, these, um, these serious improvements that have taken place. Um, you know, and then there's, there's blockchain, which is sort of on the horizon still. Of course, we've gone through this kind of up and down with Bitcoin and 
and perhaps some people are disillusioned with it. And it's and I'm not the person to say for sure or not whether or not uh, blockchain is going to change the nature of the internet. But some people believe it could shift us from the internet we have now, which is about copying and proliferating information to you could they some people call it the internet of value so you know the classic example could be the music industry where information can just be freely copied and proliferated it breaks down certain industries and the music industry has struggled until now with with business models like spotify to know how to monetize uh it, and it broke it really damaged the industry so so the solution has turned out to be streaming apps like spotify but another solution could have potentially been blockchain if you can get the internet of value. You can really say, I'm going to sell you this song and, and you can't just copy it and proliferate it. You know, and I guess the final thing to highlight would be entrepreneurship is easier than ever. So the ability to create a new business, depending on what it is, of course, but it's cheaper than ever to get a domain name, to, to learn a skill, using these uh, edX or um, you know, these code, online code academies or even a code bootcamp, uh, to gain the skill is cheaper than ever, to set up your website is cheaper than ever, to, and to market, to go on LinkedIn, start cold calling or cold texting people, or to buy ads. Um, you know, your upfront costs for starting certain kinds of business, businesses are, are lower than ever before. So I think that that should be a serious um, source of optimism going forward. Hey Ryan, we want to thank you for uh, providing your insights and perspectives on the future and current state of the di digital economy. It was a lot of fun. I want to thank you for your time and have a great weekend. Okay? Thank you so much, Kevin. It was a pleasure to speak with you.